All right, welcome back um, to the Game and Going Deeper podcast. If you uh, have not watched part one of this series, this is a two-part series. So part one is addiction and recovery part one, and this one is addiction and recovery part two. Uh, in the first episode, we talked about addiction, and in this episode, we're talking about recovery. So pause this and go back and watch part one before continuing on this with this one, because it will everything will make sense. We're going to be building off the conversation that we had last week. So all right. So, and and in in the in last week's conversation, we basically talked about um, our own experience with addiction and how it's shown up in our own lives. Um, we go into the juicy details of our own experience uh, with addiction, both personally and professionally. And then we asked, uh, we talked about how do we see addiction showing up in the gay community, and uh, came up with all the different ways that we're seeing it showing up in in the community. And now we're going to talk about uh, recovery and how we can move uh, from uh, addiction or compulsion into um, living a life of sobriety or living a life of of you know using responsibly um, is what we're talking about. So the two questions we have for you guys today are: What have you done to recover from your own addictive tendencies? um or and or compulsions and um what can you share with the audience about living sober uh, or enjoying life's pleasures responsibly so for this episode let's start with reno uh, what have you done to recover from your own addictive tendencies or compulsions yeah i was hoping you would um <laughs> <laughs> so i want to start i want to start with um something i observed recently there's there was someone who was sharing their um journey with addiction and recovery on social media mm-hmm. and um i had this curiosity because he really seemed to be struggling and i the, the curiosity was around whether or not he had um community supporting him on this journey mm-hmm. because and and whether that's you know, your typical AANA or, you know, and like any anonymous meetings, they have, they have codependency anonymous, they have overeaters anonymous, like, there is literally um, a meeting for every addiction, which mm-hmm. I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. The, the um, anonymous community, however, can be um, regarded and experienced as um old school and religiously based and that can be off-putting for some people when they hear words like god um, or higher power it's like a trigger or it's off-putting to them and so you know what i've observed is that even with me initially i it it kind of had me contract at the idea of spending any amount of time in those spaces um I'm glad that I'm able to move past that now because, you know, I would say one of the most significant um, ways that I have been able to recover from, begin to recover from, continue to recover from addiction and be on the path of recovery and discovery has been as a result of community. Uh, it, It makes such a huge difference my shame continues to heal in community. I, I begin I begin to be free from my shame. Um, I begin to be free from, you know, my trauma. I begin to be free from the ideas that I hold about, you know, how the world is and how people are 
I'm, you know, I experience unconditional community and unconditional um, welcoming and acceptance. And, you know, that has been remarkable. Um, I'm part of a community um, called Recovery 2.0. And um, that community has been really, really amazing in in this process. I arrived there originally uh, for codependency, actually. That was the first meeting I went to. And I stayed for for everything that it has to offer and for all of these other addictions I recognized. You know, I saw, okay, I don't have the relationship with food that I want to be having. And while I could look at it and go, oh, you know, it's harmless, what have you. I mean, years ago in my, you know, probably from about age 18 or 19 into my, you know, into my, I would say like mid mid 20s, maybe even late 20s. Um, I had um, struggled with bulimia and I think I've shared this in previous episodes and um, and so you know I didn't have meetings for that but at some point I just said like this does not work I'm not going to keep doing this you know I'm either going to buy the takeout eat it and then sit in the discomfort of having ate something that is clearly not good for my body Mm. or you know or I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop eating it, but throwing up is no longer an option, you know, like this has got to change. And mm-hmm. so I worked on that piece myself. Um, alcohol, you know, my relationship around that, I think I shifted on my own in some ways, but then, but then came meetings because, you know, more recently showing up in those rooms and, and deciding that I was no longer going to drink alcohol, deciding that I had I wanted to have a different relationship with food, deciding that I wanted to have a different relationship with technology, deciding that I want to wanted to have a different relationship with relationships. Like it was a game changer. But but honesty, like real honesty with myself was was what what sparked that journey you know there was a moment um of reaching bottom you know and bottom i think as i see it you know because we can have high bottoms and we can have low bottoms right a high bottom is like oh you know i i can go out and drink and like have a good time and yeah i'm a bit hungover but i still show up to work i still pay my bills I don't hit my partner, my children, you know, like life looks good. I'm just doing what everybody else around me is doing. A low bottom is like, I have leveled my life. I have destroyed Mm -hmm. it. I am, you know, like I'm, I'm gone. Um, And so for me, like with alcohol, the bottom was high, you know, like when I looked around, I was like, oh, there are a lot of people who are worse off than I am. Like, I'm good. But it wasn't. But but the but the the honesty part was the important piece. It was like, oh, some of these things that used to serve me, and they really did, they used to serve me, they don't anymore. And so it's time for me to get honest about that and look at how to replace them. You know, I still go out and dance, but I don't drink. If I don't think that I can be in an environment where alcohol is present, then I don't go, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I go to meetings every day 
uh, on online in you know in recovery 2.0 i um i have a sponsor now you know and like in my mind there was a story about that as well like i don't need a sponsor like i'm not that far gone but i was like you know what i really want to dive in and invest myself in this process and people who do that seem to have a sponsor so let me try it well wouldn't you know this guy is helping me with all sorts of other things. I mean, I'm working on my relationship to technology, even just noticing the ways in which like I, I sell myself short when it comes to showing up fully in my life and for myself and for what matters to me. So it's amazing when we start to, when we start to kind of remove some of these um, distractions and addictive behaviors and patterns from the equation what comes up is like all the stuff that was behind it you know Mm -hmm. and so I was just it was really surprising to start to see it's like oh if I pull this little thread all of a sudden it all kind of unravels and I'm like Mm -hmm. wow okay like there's addiction and there's addiction in places I didn't even know it was present. There's distraction and compulsion, as you say, in places I didn't even know it was present, you know. So um, community, huge. Um, you know, support, huge. Honesty, huge. And then also, it's like, there's the piece where you're on the path of you know, like abstinence from whatever your poison is, right? And you're actively engaged in recovery. And then this is really important because people think, well, if I don't have this, what do I have? It's like, there is life after addiction. There is life beyond abstinence, you know? And it's a life where like, I go to yoga classes, I wake up early, I get to see the sunrise, You know, I don't feel like shit the next day. I'm not reactive. I'm responsive. I'm receptive to creativity, um, you know, as it comes through in ways that I wasn't available for previously because I was numbed out or tired or just not present, not available. You know, I've seen my body's changed. I feel healthier. I feel more energized. I'm more consciously consumptive. I'm noticing, you know, Some of the music I listen to isn't hitting as often as it used to. The television and entertainment I used to watch, I really loved watching like, you know, Housewives and stuff. And I still watch the Housewives here and there. But honestly, I have this sensitivity to drama now and all of that stuff where I'm just like, my nervous system does not fuck with this anymore, you know, where it used to, because that's like, that's what I grew up in. That's what I was used to. Now, as I'm being reconditioned through recovery, I'm like, yeah, no, that like a lot of this stuff for me, for me, not for everyone, for me is, is poison now, you know? And Mm. so um, it's fascinating. And the last thing I'll say is I used to, like, I used to, I used to get annoyed with people who would make comments about like what I ate or what I drank or what I listened to or what I was up to. And I still kind of do. I'm like, you know miss me with that shit please but but um but i get it mm-hmm. i get that they i get that they saw something that i didn't and couldn't at the time you know and so like you don't have to be an asshole about it 
Um, but I understand where they were coming from. You know, mm. they 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 were at a place that I wasn't yet. And now I can look and go, ah, yeah, like for me, it's also poison now. You know, I'm where you are. I get where you were coming from, you know. Mm. So anyway, that's my two cents. <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah, lots of good things in your share. Yeah. I'm so, I just want to say I'm super happy um, for you that you're really diving deep into this. Like I know for me, I've had lot, long periods of sobriety in my life and then I integrated back, you know, certain things in again, but those periods of sobriety were huge expansions and level ups for me and especially spiritually, like my spiritual path really expanded when I, you know, for example, gave up alcohol. It was huge. So I'm just really looking forward to see what you keep discovering Thank about yourself. You. Yeah. yeah there are, uh, last thing there's nothing quite like be like being here like really fully you know sanely and so soberly if that's a word like being here it's mm. it's like incredibly challenging initially especially yeah and then it becomes remarkably rewarding you know oh my gosh there's yeah, yeah that's all i'll say yeah it's a good way to put it and I love that you're in it, you know, like you're coming yeah. at it, like you're, you're literally in it for us. Yeah. So you, you have a lot of really powerful and relevant experience to share, which is great. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, if you didn't listen to the first one, you gotta go back because none of what I say next is going to make sense to you. So the question is, how have you, what have you done to recover from your own addictive tendencies? And I'm going to take Matt's suggestion for this one. And I'm going to respond with the word compulsive. Because that just feels more, just feels better for me. Okay. So what I talked about last time in the last episode was that it, at the core, it was an emotional issue at, at its very core. So the first thing I did, and I, I took a little bit of time to think, well, this response it might be a, a bit long, so just bear with me, but I promise you it'll Take be worth time. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really yeah. had to think about this. It was a great question, Matt. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is taking responsibility for that emotional response, taking ownership for that emotional response. So instead of it being like trigger behavior, automatic, no space, it's realizing, okay, wait, <laughs> I'm feeling lonely. So my thing was loneliness. I'm feeling lonely. Okay. I have a choice here. What am I going to do about it? And the quote that I love, and I use it all the time to this very day is Victor Frankl. Mm. I've said on this podcast before, I'll say it again, because I love it. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our freedom and our growth. Mm, I love that. Yeah. From uh, the book. I forget the name of the book, but I have it. Um, this, Man's Search for Meaning. Yes. Thank yeah, you, Reno. Man's Search for Meaning. Book. Fabulous. Yeah. And this stays with me all the time. It's just one of those things that is like a cornerstone of my life, this quote. Yeah. So this is what I had, had used here. Um I had to disrupt the pattern, right? If I'm feeling lonely, I do not need to jump for grinder. I do not need to like get into my calendar and go find a bar as quickly as possible to be with people. My thought was, oh, I'm lonely. Got to go be with people. Lonely, be, be with people. So I made a conscious choice after a, a, a low low. We talked about, well, Irina talked about lows. A low low of mine was uh, around Christmas. And in that new year, it really dawned on me that I had, I had a choice to make. I had to interrupt the pattern. So I made a conscious choice for the month of January. Um, this is years ago. Not to have any hookups on Grinder, at the gym, at the bar, at the bathhouse, cruising, walking down the street. 
nothing, nothing for an entire month. I'm like, let's see what happens if I just don't do this for a month. And what happened was I felt lonely. <laughs> so there was that stimulus. And instead of automatically going into that response, the hookup, the app, whatever that was, I just stayed with it. Mm. I let myself feel lonely. And over time, I got to know this version of myself that I had been ignoring, resisting, avoiding, shaming, judging for so long, the lonely version of Michael. Mm. Me as a lonely gay man. I did not want to face this man for years, which is why I was doing this compulsive behavior. But in doing so, and yes, it hurt. I cried. <laughs> it was very hard. I'm not saying at all this was easy. This is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. But the answer for me, to answer the question was, I had to lean into the feeling instead of resist it or try to solve it. That's another thing I like to do is I want to solve it right away. Okay, mm -hmm. there's a problem. Let's solve it. But before you solve it, you got to feel it. Right. So the result for me was I got to know myself on a much, 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 much deeper level. We talked about the, we always use the analogy of the onion. And I had peeled back a layer of this onion that, that revealed to me a very sad, lonely man, <clears throat> lonely Michael. And it revealed that deeper layer to myself. But guess what? As I got to know that deeper layer of myself, the work was, I also got to listen to him and I got to love him. And then down the road, I got to love myself at a much deeper level than I had loved myself before, but only because I opened the door to that layer, right? So tangibly, what does this look like? I'm, I'm talking in like very abstract words here. So for me, my triggers were Friday nights. I remember this. So I, I had a date night with my ex. Friday night was our night. And we broke out, blah, blah, blah. Yada, yada, yada. All of my friends at that time also had partners. And on Friday nights, it was their date night too, which was really annoying. So my Friday night would come along and I'd be like, okay, let's go out. That's what I would do. No one's around. Let's go out. So Friday night rolls around. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm just going to have to learn to be by myself. If everyone else was busy, so I check in with my friends, my true friends. They're busy, of course. So then I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do? And that's when I implemented Friday night date nights with myself. Mm. <laughs> and I know, Matt, you do this too. Yeah. <laughs> what are the odds? That's so funny. Yeah. yeah and this, this was such a game changer for me because I'm like, okay, I need to make being alone fun in whatever way that looks like for myself. So I had to learn how to enjoy my alone time. And now I, you guys know, I love my alone time. It's so funny how different I am. Like that, that version of me back then would never have wanted to spend a minute alone with himself. Mm -hmm. And this was the winter. It was January, right? So I cocooned. I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to my favorite music. I'm going to download some new songs. I'm going to watch a movie. I'm going to, you know, read. And this actually is when I got really into journaling and writing. Uh, that was just one of the ways that I wanted to connect with myself. And that's when I really started uh, a deep journaling practice and deep writing. Practice cooking new meals. And yes, it sucked. I'm not saying this all felt fun. I kept thinking like, oh, I wish somebody was here for this. Oh, I wish so I could share this with somebody. Oh, I wish I could cuddle on the couch with somebody. Oh, I wish, oh, I wish I could just go on grinder and like, oh, I know like my neighbor's home. I can see his light on. I could just go to his place. But I didn't. I, I let myself just be in the space of loneliness and let whatever feelings come up. Because here's the thing. Because I wasn't numbing anymore, distracting, I was able to face a lot of really, really powerful thoughts and feelings that I needed to face, that I wouldn't have faced otherwise. That's when it surfaced. It surfaced when I took away all of my distractions and all my barriers and I'm left with, oh, fuck. Oof, these are some really nasty thoughts when I was really, these are some really nasty thoughts I have in my head. I didn't know they were there until then. Hmm. I'm going to add one caveat before I wrap up. 
is is don't do what I did <laughs> and then get so good at this that then you use it as a reason to not engage with people at all. Okay. I did yeah. that. I did that myself. I went so far the other way that I became <laughs> hyper independent. Yeah. One wolf thing. And I was like, I don't need anybody. I'm great on my own, blah, blah, blah. And again, guess what? Still lonely. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I went so far the other way, right? So that's my one caveat. And I think working with somebody can help you make sure that that, like working with a coach or counselor or therapist will make sure that that doesn't happen. Because ultimately, mm-hmm. if you do want the connection, you do need to still expose yourself and be vulnerable, which we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. So that's me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, I felt from that, your share, the same thing I felt from Reno's share. I just felt <laughs> emotional hearing you and just lonely Michael. And I just, yeah. you know, I want to give him a big hug and... Um, and just applaud the courage that it takes because I'm a deep diver as well. I'm an inward traveler. I know how hard it is to sit with the sorrow and the loneliness and the depression and all those things and not numb out from it. It's, yeah. But I think that's when life begins. You know what I mean? So, And, so and that's the self-love piece, right? Like we talk about yeah. self-love. Like it's easy to self-love yourself when life is good, but mm-hmm. the real work about self-compassion and self-love is like, when shit is rough, when you want to learn to have your own back, you got to be like on the floor covered in dust and dirt, crying. <laughs> like that's yeah. when you're really going to practice self-love and self-compassion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if you ain't feeling it, you ain't healing it. So yeah. unfortunately, we got to we gotta go through that, that murky swamp to get to the other side. So yeah, um, man, you guys are bringing me down memory lane. This is crazy. <laughs> Uh, just reflecting on all this. It, it, I just want to say that it feels like a lifetime ago. Like really, it doesn't feel like this lifetime that I was addicted to crack. And like, I think I, what am, what is it now? 38, 26, like, so tw- I just celebrated 12 years. I think April 6th, I just stopped counting. I just don't even care anymore. I'm like, this is a new life and <laughs> new me, but I'm pretty sure it was 12 years on April 6th um, from using like hard drugs, basically, and pot and alcohol that really the only things and then plant medicines, which are medicines to me, they're not drugs. But um, so yeah, for me, it was rehab. So I went to rehab, like I said, when I was I think 18 or 19, um, spent a month in rehab. And then um, it was interesting, because I actually look at and I'm I, the way I look at it now is my addiction was a, there was a big silver lining. And for me, it was um, it was a big step in aligning me to my purpose. So in rehab, I connected with the, with, well, journaling, um, with watching the the counselors in action, you know, watching them do group work. And then I was able to watch other people share and get emotional. And I was like, oh my God, I was so lit up. And I'm like, I want to do this. And then I was like, got out of rehab and, you know, started doing research on different things. And that's when I found the addiction counseling program at the University of Lethbridge. And, uh, so I got in, into that. And so for me, it was like, it set me off on my on my journey of life. Like I wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't for my addiction and my recovery. Um, so that's a really big part of it. And then, uh, you know, counseling, again, going into, into therapy and working with a counselor for, um, geez, like years. Um, I saw him for probably two years. And then, uh, you know, so I started seeing Rita, who was my psychologist for when I was 25. And, you know, so just that for me was a huge thing, because like I said, I wasn't a fan of the anonymous meetings. They, um, they didn't meet my needs. And um, so I decided to go a different route. And the counseling for me was huge. And then again, it was like, you know, uh, a lot of, uh, and why I think I'm such a great practitioner is because I've been through 
this. I've been through rehab. I've been through, you know, years, well, decades really of therapy and these sorts of things. So I know what, what uh, has worked for me. And I, I tend to teach from my own anecdotes. Right. Um, and then this other category started to, to arrive. So I started, I studied shamanism when, uh, and did the cosmologies, the four cosmologies um, in, in that. And that was a two year kind of program, I guess. And within that modality, I started learning about plant medicines and ayahuasca mainly, and then psilocybin. Um, <clears throat> and those were really big for me in the sense of um, giving me another vehicle to access my trauma and how it was stored in my body. I'm a firm believer that the plant medicine technology works really, really well at helping remove the, the ego. So you can connect with different aspects of yourself. So it's almost like for that time, while you're under the influence of the medicine, it allows you to access perhaps your shadows, your psyche, your subconscious and unconscious. Um, whereas we don't have access to those direct access to those when the ego is is our is our negotiator between these two realities and um so that for me it was big it was it was it got me to a place of being able to to do some healing that perhaps i wasn't able to access in in traditional like say psychotherapy or whatever it might be um, but I, for me it was in conjunction so i'm not suggesting people just go and do plant medicine and and whatever like you know and not do other modalities i think it's all works together it's a system um so that's important um, and then uh, one, one of the big things for me actually, is I remember that I had to stop drinking alcohol because I was every, well, and it's still to this day, if I drink alcohol, I want cigarettes. And I remember <laughs> Michael, when you and, uh, and, uh, Callan, I came up and I was like, I had a cigarette and you guys were like, what are you doing? Oh my God. Like you smoke. It was crazy because as soon as I have a drink of alcohol, like my brain chemistry is just like, give me nicotine. Mm. So I quit smoking cigarettes after eight attempts because I quit smoking alcohol or quit drinking alcohol and alcohol would always bring me to cocaine too. So I'd get pissed drunk. All my friends would go home and then I would call up dealers and I'd be like, Kate, and then I'd go and I'd be up for two days doing Coke or crack or whatever. So alcohol was a gateway for me into all these other things. So alcohol was something that I had to end promiscuous sex I was super promiscuous when I would drink so again that was something so alcohol for me was actually quite a dangerous thing and I had to learn how to to say no to that it helped me uh, move towards recovery from other other things um yeah and then I think I, I told the story in the other episode around my um, blushing and having to go to rehab because I was blushing and, and it was about a fear of vulnerability and fear of being seen. Okay. But in being seen is authentic connection. So I had to learn to tolerate being seen. So then I could move towards authentic connection where people could truly see me and I could feel connected to them. And this is why I'm a firm believer that the anecdote or the cure to addiction is actually connection, not sobriety, not abstinence. You know, that's important part of it. Don't get me wrong. But it, if you're just abstaining from, let's say, alcohol, you become a dry drunk, right? And you still got all the shit that you're dealing with. What people are yearning for is connection, love, to open their heart and feel loved, to feel like they can give and receive love. These sorts of things are so important. And, and so for me, learning this process and learning how to, you know, show up, be seen, be visible, share my messiness and my brilliance. That is when my addiction started to heal is because that's what I was deeply yearning for. And 
I think as, as gay men, that this is a major injury for a lot of us is we hide behind masks, we hide our sexuality, which therefore then leads to hiding all other aspects of ourselves because our sexuality is tied into so many other areas of our lives. Then we struggle with learning with, with, you know, moving towards authentic connection. And that's the thing, right? So for people that are listening right now, and they're you're struggling with addiction, you know, it's probably there's aspects, like I said in the last episode, of intimacy avoidance or avoidance of vulnerability that is likely a strong root into the addictive behavior, right? Because that's what's impairing our ability to move towards connection, which is what most of us are yearning for. So that was a big learning. And, and especially in, in the, you know, being a practitioner and doing work in addiction, when I had that realization, it was so profound for me. And I think, um, you know, Brene Brown does some really good work in this area, but I think it was Gaber Mate. He's one of my 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 idols. He's amazing. Uh, and he has a book called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, I think it's called. And he talks about holistic treatment to addiction. And he's very, very trauma trained. And um, I love his work. So that would be maybe a book for people that are, whether you're a practitioner or you're wanting to heal your own addiction, that book would be, uh, be definitely a suggestion of mine. Um, yeah. All right, Reno, what can you share with the audience about living sober or enjoying life's pleasures responsibly? My goodness, what can't I share? <laughs> um, as as Michael said, right? Like I'm I'm going through it right right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanna I wanna look at the question one more time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. It probably gets harder before it gets easier. That's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, it's not for the faint of heart. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kids do try this at home, <laughs> um, but but yeah, it's like it 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 isn't for the faint of heart. Um, and you know, my sense is that if you're lucky you don't have to be brought to your knees and have your life completely leveled to decide that there's a different way of living. But also sometimes I envy the people who did arrive at that point because it's just very clear that there's nowhere to go but up, right? Like like for me, again, with this high bottom, low bottom thing, like there are many moments where I go, you know, it what really wasn't that bad. I could I could just keep drinking, you know. Um, but for someone who whose life was, you know, completely obliterated by alcoholism, it's a no-brainer. It's like when I drink, like it's over, you know. Mm-hmm. So so it, like that's been tricky. Um and I think It's a path and a journey that I highly recommend everyone at least try, mm. you know, at, at least try, give it a go, see what, see what sobriety from your poison of choice feels like for a period of time. <laughs> try it for two weeks, try it for 21 days, try it for a month, try it for a week, mm-hmm. you know, um, if all of that is too much for you. And just see what arises. But yeah, 
it was it was challenging at first and there are still moments where it's really challenging and I think okay like what have I signed up for here and I think one of the hardest things was the fear that my life would not be as fun and I would not be as fun without my substance of choice without my distraction or addiction or compulsion of choice and it's interesting too because Matt you were sharing before like how you used to go out and drink and then you know after you do your thing like that version of you would have been really attractive to me at some point like I would have been like because I either would have wanted to like save you and heal you or I would have wanted a party with you or both you know Mm -hmm. um and so that's also really interesting to observe how like that tendency has shifted in my world as well um and I think um, I lost my train of thought. What was I <laughs> saying? Oh, what what was I saying before I said that about Party Boy? You, you would have been attracted to ah, uh, yeah. Like okay, me. Yeah. thank you. Now I remember. <laughs> so there was a fear, like I won't be fun, and life won't be fun anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, and I won't be okay. And what I have seen is that for a moment, for a period, that does kind of start to feel like it's the case. Yeah. Because there's this gap, right? It's like, okay, well, the thing is gone, but nothing has replaced it. And so is this just going to be life? Like this void, you know, where I, you know, I that's gone but there's nothing else no actually it doesn't need to be yeah cue community cue new relationships healthy um life-giving fulfilling enriching relationship activities you know i still go out dancing in fact i still dance on tables and in booths and hang from (laughs) rafters and i'm on stage (laughs) in the booty box and sometimes the crowds are like around me while I'm dancing and they're like cheering me. Like I'm partying harder than some of the people in the club are, but I'm not drinking and I'm not on drugs. I'm high on my own supply, you know, like just the music and the moment and the energy, like that's possible. You know, when I, when I have sex, right. Like, you know, I'm sober and I'm there for the experience and the pleasure is so deep and beautiful and like lasting too. It doesn't just fade when I'm done it's like I'm connected to my breath and I'm connected to my body and I'm connected to the person I'm engaging with so it's almost like I'm drunk on the experience or high on the experience and it continues in like a balanced way beyond the act itself it's remarkable Hmm. um what else like um you know I'm finding food becomes medicine not poison right so now the foods I eat, like I select them um, for how they will contribute to my well-being, my presence, my connectedness, my um, energy, my libido, my, you know, my life force. And, And so now food for me is medicine. Entertainment for me is medicine. Music for me is medicine clothing for me is medicine the way I endure adore adorn myself and my life to like enhance it you know not as a mask not as um a distraction you know and then technology like 
the relationship I'm 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 cultivating with technology now is consume or sorry create more than I consume you know generally speaking I would go to this thing as a means of a distraction right so now now when I go to that I go there for connection so I've got meditative apps I have Duolingo on it as well um you know where I go to post things that are enriching to the the you know to the larger world and population um and then I try to just put it away you know I have a a rule now too that I'm still working on I don't get it right every night but it's like this thing goes into sleep mode at you know nine or ten ten at the latest at the latest and it's not the first thing I'm doing when I wake up mm-hmm. you know other than for insight timer my meditation app I sit up I meditate I do my morning sadhana practice you know I go for a walk I speak into my voice recorder all of that stuff before I even mess with this thing here, you know? So it just, it does get better. And then, and then what ends up happening as well is there's like, you start to discover this new version of yourself. You know, it's like, I thought I knew who I was. I'm just warming up. Like Mm -hmm. I am just warming up. Life is just getting really good. And um, I'm discovering new things about myself and what I actually like and what I actually value and what I'm actually capable of. And also I'm becoming this even more clear vessel and channel for creativity, for spirit, mm. for inspiration and expression. Like it's just, there's so much, you know, there's so much. And and like for service too, the way I show up for the people around me, for my clients, for my work, like, it's just different now, you know, and people see it. And my, and then also you like look sexy too, you know, it's like, I thought I was sexy, you know, <laughs> when I was like doing this and that, but like, I actually, I, I, you look sexy and you feel sexy. It's different. And it's a different kind, you know? So yeah. Yeah, yeah, so much. I could go on and on and on. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Thank you. There's so much I want to say now, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, underline, underline, and highlight all that. That was really good, Reno. Um, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to answer the question. <laughs> what I love about this is the way that it's worded. Um, enjoying life's pleasures responsibly. That's so good for me. Anyone who listens to this podcast regularly knows that I love myself some pleasure. And I'm not ashamed about it. And I will yeah. never apologize for it. So that's why I really enjoy this. And I, I'm not saying that you have to be like me, as always. Just It's just who I am. I am not one who will give up pleasure easily. And I, um, I take a lot of joy from the pleasures of life. I'll eat the entire fucking pizza if I want to eat it. I'll sleep in all day if I want to sleep in all day. And I'll go out to the club if I want to go out to the club. And that's just that's the way it's going to be. And you can love it or you can hate it. It doesn't matter to me. But what I have learned through this journey of myself full loving pleasure is I know what it is. I know the role it plays in my life. And I know it's not the same as happiness, true happiness. And there is a big difference because for a long time, like, like my example with sex and connection, I was mistaking pleasure with happiness. I was seeking something, but I wanted something, but seeking it in ways that was not going to give it to me. So it's very much the same way. Pleasure is not happiness. And so you have to know what's motivating you. 
And having that sense of self-awareness is really, really important. And then understanding your patterns around it, right? Um, a question I love to ask myself if, if I want to check in and I'm like, oh, am I, am I going into like, you know, compulsive behavior here is if I wanted to stop doing this, can I stop doing this? Mm. If I'm at a bar with all my friends and they're like, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm, at, I'm drinking, but I'm at that nice level. I'm having a good time. Um, I'll, they say, okay, we're going to go to the bar. You want to drink instead of just, yep which would have been my answer, like, no question. <laughs> now I'm like, Michael, do you need a drink right now? Well, no, I really don't need a drink. I'm fine. So I'll say, no, thanks. Go for it. Have a good time. And that's kind of like how I do it. It's, it's very, like I said, between stimulus and response, there's a space. Having that question to myself and being honest with myself, obviously, like, do I really need a drink? No, I don't. I'm actually good. I'm fine. Um, that's one question. And the next question would be, am I escaping my life? Am I doing this to escape something? Am I doing this to like run away from a feeling? Am I doing this to run away? Now, I understand that we are all escapists to some degree and escapism can be a good thing. It can be a nice way to cope. Like you've had a long day and you want to just put on a movie or read a book or, you know, whatever, just kind of escape the world for a little bit. That's fine. But there's a difference between escapism once in a while and then like as a lifestyle. And I think that when you do it as a lifestyle, that's where it becomes a problem. Because the more you escape your life, the less power you have to change it. You can't make changes when you're over here, not, you know, avoiding it. So those are some of the questions that I do to check in with myself when I am in my pleasure and I am having the fun and everything that Reno said really resonated with me. I still do that. Of course, I talked a lot about sex in these last two episodes. I still enjoy my casual sex, my hookups and all that stuff. I have a great time with it, but I'm not, I know why I'm doing it. I know what it's doing for me. And I, there's no, there's no shady qualms about what's going on here. It's two adults. We know what we want to do. Let's get it done. Have a nice day. That's it. And it serves me to some degree, but I know that I'm not going to get my happiness from that. It's just, it, it's, it is what it is. It's, it's a pleasure that I want to partake in. And that's that. So hmm. that's how I do it. It's, it's really about self-awareness and knowing your patterns and motivations. And those two questions are really important. Can I stop this if I wanted to? And am I doing this because I'm trying to escape something? Those are the two questions I'll leave the audience with. Yeah. I love that. And your intention behind why you move yeah. towards casual sex is different now. You were, oh, yeah. Your intention was to mitigate you know, loneliness and shame. And now it's to move towards pleasure and enjoy and celebrate love or whatever you're, you're right. So there's, yeah. yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I've got, again, there's so much stuff that comes up. I wrote <laughs> no. some things down, but <laughs> um, okay. So what can I share with the audience about living sober or enjoying life's pleasure? So again, we're talking kind of kind of a little bit about a bit of a polarity here because sometimes sobriety can be about like minimizing or, or limiting our access to pleasures, at least at first until we like renegotiate our baseline of what pleasure is. Because when we're in the active addiction, our tolerance is extremely high for pleasure, right? We're always saturating our brain with pleasure. And then when we go into a period of recovery, we can, our brain can feel depleted and we're, we're we could be pleasure seeking and these sorts of things. Um, so I have a few things here. Um, for people on the, um, the side where you're living sober. Okay. I'll speak to that first. Um, I know for me, when I went through this, this period of sobriety, I, I, because I am very black and white in certain aspects and it was like all or nothing. 
So I went into over restriction on everything. And um, I was super rigid with my eating, with my working out, with all these things. And what I realized is I just took the shame I was experiencing. And instead of numbing it out with drugs and alcohol, I started to use shame as the motivator for my life. So it was like, if I don't go to the gym, shame on you, shame on your body, you're disgusting, get to the gym. So shame became this thing that I used to motivate all of my behaviors. And um, it became very, very toxic. Um, it led to the next stage of my journey. So it was addiction. And then after that, it became like this real compulsion and obsession around fitness and my body and all that. And I've shared that in many different episodes prior. Um, and that became its own addiction. So it's almost like I replaced one thing with another with the fuel beneath it being shame, right? Um, and then to these same people, I want to say um, there is this energy of when we are, um, you know, at the club. This is your your share made me think about this. You know, the guys come up and be like, hey, do you want a drink? We're all going for a drink. And, you know, the automatic person inside me, the people pleaser would be, yeah, I want a drink because I want connection. I want to be with the guys when they're all getting a drink. So I would get a drink too. So can we tolerate that feeling of maybe feeling left out or disconnected in that in that thing, right? And again, when I come when it when I come full circle, and I think about coming to Toronto to visit you, Michael. Um, I drank because I wanted to to be with you guys, and I wanted to experience that because I know it's a part of your life. It's a part of Callan's life, and I wanted to. I wanted to be there, but I, I knew I would not want to be there sober because for me, it would have been overstimulating for my nervous system. So I used alcohol as a way to regulate my nervous system um, from some of the sensory sensitivity stuff that I have. And then I drank, but then the day after I totally regretted it. I was like, oh, why did I do this? Right. So again, that's a perfect example of how I show up sometimes in ways that I don't, or I do things because I want to fit in. I want that sense of connection and community. Um, so yeah, that was one thing that came up. Um, and then to the same people that are living sober, I want to really, we can't have an episode on recovery without talking about relapses and slips, because this is a part of the process of, of, um, healing from addiction. Um, like the statistics are extremely high. I don't have the numbers, but it's like, you know, people that on the, the, the journey from addiction to recovery relapse and slips are very, very, very common. And a relapse is like full, full bore. I'm back in the cycle of my addiction and I'm, I'm, I'm relapsing. And a slip is like a one-time thing. You clean it up quick and you move on. Um, so, and, and I want to just really normalize this because for me, when I was, you know, moving through my addiction to crack, it was endless relapses, you know, and, and it was, I would go two months at a time. I'd be so proud of myself. And then I would, you know, drink alcohol and I'd be boom I'd be back into and for most of mine they were slips that would be a weekend where I would just go hard and then I'd be back on on the sober train again but uh it's just really really normal um and then the other thing that I have here is uh you know your friends might change this was a big part of uh of you know when I was going through my healing I had a really solid group of guys that I was hanging out with that were also into crack and uh, we had a really solid brotherhood and we would get high together. And when we were high, we would talk about deep things and we would practice vulnerability because we'd be uh, disinhibited, these sorts of things. And when I had to sober up, uh, 
I had to let go of these friendships. So there was a grieving that I had to go through around um, these relationships that I had. And I lost the very thing that I was desperately seeking, which was fueling my addiction, which was connection. I lost that. But then when I lost that, I found, um, I found new connection, right? Um, and then the, the last thing that I have here is... Um, for people, uh, because not everybody, so for, for example, myself, I didn't do the AA model. The AA model tends to be more disease model, which is like, um, it's addictions irreversible. You can't cure it. It'll never be gone. You always will have it. Um, I don't prescribe to that mentality because I'm not biologically predisposed to addiction. So I was able to heal my addiction. And I was able to move to back towards substances and use them responsibly. And I can now, like I said, like I can drink can have the odd cigarette and it doesn't relapse me back into, into this. Not everybody's going to be like this, but I want to speak to those people that don't have predisposition. And, and the only way to know is trial and error, right? Because, and I don't, I'm not recommending play, playing with fire here. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but to some people that living sober, um, is one lifestyle and then to certain people they can enjoy life's pleasures responsibly so you gotta you, you kind of have to really navigate because for me it was disconnection it was shame it was trauma and as i've healed those things over the course of my life i'm able to move towards things and and enjoy some of life life's pleasures responsibly and for people that are struggling with process addictions all human beings well i shouldn't say that most human beings have sex all human beings need food Right. So you have to be able to enjoy these these things responsibly when you are healing from a process addiction. So that is, I think, really important to note here. So, um, yeah, that's my share. <laughs> Great stuff, guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Lots of lots to unpack here. Like, I almost feel like we could do another episode. Like, you know, it's like it's there's a lot of stuff here. So. Yeah. Any closing comments from either of you two before we wrap up? Community again. Yeah. I mm -hmm. I can't emphasize that enough. Community, mm -hmm. um, compassion for yourself as you're navigating this this journey because mm -hmm. it is it is a challenging one. But as I mentioned earlier, it's a rewarding one. Um. And then I guess the last thing I would say is it was prompted by something I, you, you had shared, I think, Matt, but um, I see now that there was a lot that I was tolerating and enduring. Like at one point it served me at another point. It's almost as if I had adopted a sort of um, a tolerance or an endurance for like, these things that weren't serving me anymore. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed is that as this shift has happened, like, and, and sometimes there's even a little bit of a judgment around it. Like I feel way more vocal and way more like decisive and discerning about, about, you know, things that I used to tolerate and endure. I just don't now. You know, and and so it's interesting. I'm really waking up to the the many ways in which, like, um, yeah, there was a high tolerance for discomfort, sickness, yeah. poison, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's just not there anymore. You know, yeah. 
And that's challenging initially because it's like you're waking up and it's like, whoa, this is a lot, you know. But eventually, I think things start to shift and your life starts to reflect who you're becoming. Yeah. Yeah, So be patient with yourself. Be compassionate with yourself. Be kind to yourself, you know. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I have two things I want to add, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, One, we talked about community. So guys who are listening <laughs> we have a community um mm-hmm. so if this is something you're like oh yeah maybe i do need to connect with some people who are out of my usual circles or maybe who have been through this before we have an entire community of guys and we'll be hosting the hangout uh, the zoom hangout on the thursday of the month so please come to that there's there's matt and i will be there and maybe reno as well hopefully yeah mm-hmm. um so that's one option i just want to give you guys options that there are communities out there ours is just one of them there are many other ones reno named a bunch um, so yeah. the other thing is, if you are struggling or know someone who is, you can reach out to any of us. Uh, info at gaymansbrotherhood.com is our email address, or you can reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook, and we can point you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I'll say, and I already forgot what it was. Oh, yes. You know what this episode reminds me of? Um, and actually, funny enough, this was our first episode of 2023, I believe, was reinvention. Oh, yeah. And I feel like what you guys have just shared and listening to you guys, we're kind of talking about a reinvention here of sorts. Totally. Wow. Yeah. It's just one flavor of reinvention. So I think what we might do is put that re- reinvention episode in the show notes, because I think that could help people kind of process what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love that. We talked That's about cool. stage, stages of change and different yeah. things in that episode. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I like that. I like that. This would be like a little trio bundle. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I just want to thank you guys for your vulnerability and sharing. And uh, yeah, again, as always, it's just so beautiful how to watch this little triangle work. Like it's like you share and then you share and then it stimulates me. And then we're just, you know, we're kind of just stimulating a lot of beautiful. It's, it's a testament to group work yeah, right? totally. and, and connection. It's like we're kind of really uh, emulating that. So thank you. Maybe we need to have a little weekend together at some point in the new oh, year. Oh, we will. Yeah. Yeah. We will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be really fun. Yeah. Be really fun. Um, yeah, and uh, come and join us in the in the Facebook group. And like Michael said, we host the Zoom Hangouts at the last uh, Thursday of every month. So come and join us. Michael's is in the morning in the eastern western side of the world, and mine is in the evening. So come and join us. Uh, just go to gaymensbrotherhood.com and go to community, and then you'll see those two events. And you can uh, you can get the links emailed to you in. A, via email by signing up to our email list because um, they're also in the Facebook group. But if you don't have Facebook, you can always come to our website um, and please leave comments. We love your comments on, on YouTube and we love your star ratings, five stars, preferably on your favorite podcast platform. Cause it gets this episode into the hands of the people that need it. That's the, that's why we want that. Right. It's not about fame or anything for us. We just want these, these episodes to get into the the hands and the eyes and the ears of the people that need them because uh, we get a lot of messages weekly really from people saying you know these episodes are really helping me and they're helping me heal and i'm now in therapy and these sorts of things so yeah that's what we want we we know our community needs healing and we're here to be to do our our small part in that so yeah please share these episodes it helps all right much love everybody take care